This morning we're going to be continuing our time in the Gospel of Luke as we've been walking through it for the last five weeks, wrestling with that statement in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, where Luke tells Theophilus, I have written these things that you might have certainty about the things of which you have been taught. And we've been talking about the certainty of Christmas. And so <clears throat> this morning we come into Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it's where it picks up. And you hear the words, And there were shepherds out of the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And it says, When the angel had finished this announcement, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with them, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And so the gospel here of Luke is sharing with us this hope, and we're going to anchor in this morning on verses 10 and 11 specifically, wrestling with this idea of, Where's this truth of good news of great joy come from? Do you hear that? The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. We want to know, like, man, that's something our world could use, isn't it? Good news and great joy. I don't know if you realize it or not, but nearly 10% of all Americans suffer from depression. In fact, do you know the age group where depression is most fastly increasing? Teenagers and young people. In fact, in the last year, two out of ten young people, and statistics hold true, two out of ten teenagers in this room or those close to that age have experienced some major depression moment in the last year. It's it's, it's mind-boggling, right, in some ways, because, I mean, you live on the richest country in the world, right? I mean, when you think about it, in fact, if you made over $60,000 last year, you're in the top 1% of all people worldwide. You're the top 1%. And yet, I mean, you might wonder, well, what's my point? I think the truth is this. Like, we live in a culture, in a world where we have everything. We go everywhere. We can do everything. We have this and that. And yet depression and suicide are increasing all around us. And so I think it causes us to come back and say, man, we must be short on good news and great joy. It would, in some way, behoove us this morning to return back and, and, and just remind ourselves again of the old, old story. To hear it again, like, man, I need to reorient my heart and mind this morning to hear that truth. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. We need to return back there. Because, I mean, the truth is, right? I mean, this Christmas season comes and goes. You had gifts maybe that were you gave that you hoped that somebody would enjoy and celebrate and maybe they didn't respond the way you wanted. Or some of you, maybe you hoped to get a gift and you didn't get the gift you wanted or the gift you got didn't turn out to be as impressive as you thought it would be. The truth is in a couple months, right, most of the gifts we got will have faded into the distance. And I think that might ask the, cause the unbeliever in the room to ask, well, is there any good news? And might it, as we examine this story today, cause the Christians among us to say, why am I so often not satisfied in God? Why is that? So this morning, again, let's turn back to the old story and to hear it again of the story of the birth of Christ 
and the shepherds and the angels in the field. And know this truth, that Jesus is our joy. That Jesus is our joy. I hope today you leave with that. Just let that ruminate in your heart and mind. Jesus is our joy. And we might wonder, well, why is he our joy? Because verse 11 tells us that he is the Savior, he is the Christ, and he is the Lord. And those three things are what brings forth this glorious truth, this good news that we're hearing. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2 this morning, if you have your copy of God's Word. And we're going to pick up, right? There was a Roman census that was taken, and it calls Mary and Joseph, and Mary who's pregnant with Jesus, to return back to Joseph's hometown, the city of David, Bethlehem. And it's during that time that we pick up in verse 6. And it says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. The Son of God is born and lying in a lowly manger. This is a startling story. This is not one you would expect, right? We would expect that he comes to the highest class of people, the richest, the kings, and yet we see him born to this peasant family And he's placed in a manger. And the story now picks up and continues where we're going to, again, anchor our time today here, specifically verses 8 to 14. And we hear this first truth. Be joyful. Jesus came to save. Be joyful today. Jesus came to save so that you and I wouldn't be lost forever. Jesus came to save so that you and I would not be lost forever. Pick up the wood, verse 8 through 10. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel comes, right, and the glory of the Lord is shining around, and he says, Fear not. And we need to ask, like, well, why should they not be terrified and afraid? This is a terrifying picture. Again, realize these men are living in the darkness, and, and, and they're not living in modern times. Right? They're not used to lights and seeing and looking back to all this city lit up with all these powerful lights. These men are in the darkness. And isn't that in some way startling, that what scares them is not being in the dark, but it's actually coming into the light? I mean, that's some of us. Isn't our truth, our story? Like we're comfortable living in darkness, but, man, when you step out of that darkness and into the light, It's so often then that we get terrified, we pull back, we shrink back, we think about our own desires and our own wants. But these shepherds are called out of darkness into light. And I pray this morning that some of you hear this gospel and the Lord's calling you out of the darkness of your sin and shame and into the light and freedom of the gospel. But notice what he says, fear not. Two reasons. One, I bring you good news. The word good news is the word we translate gospel. Right, the gospel, and that's the word we talk about a lot, the gospel, and it's often a word that we don't often understand. Right? We we know it, we speak about it, but man, we're often confused about what does that word gospel actually mean? What is actually good news? And so today we're gonna unpack that as we walk through this text. But secondly, look what he says he says, the second reason they're not to fear. Because it's good news, and he says, This is of great joy that will be for all the people. Right? Biblical joy isn't like turn that frown upside down. That's not it. No, we are people who know sorrows and signs. We are people, right? The Apostle Paul was losing those that he loved. He was seeing, right, he was experiencing distance from those that he loved. He was experiencing hardships. And and he could simply say this, that he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 
It doesn't mean that sorrow hides away. This isn't like, oh, you know what? You see, to pretend it's not there today, toughen up already, get up in the saddle and ride off again. No, this is a story that's real and true. We experience it, but we need to hear that there's actually good news and there's actually great joy to be had. And it's found in verse 11. Look what he says. Four, he said, you want to know where this good news of great joy that can be for all people is found? For unto you is born, look what it says, this day in the city of David, a Savior. The word Savior is the word for deliverer. It's the one that's coming to set free. Right, you might wonder, well, how does that happen? Well, in Matthew chapter 1, right, um, <clears throat> the, the angel comes to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, and, and he tells him, listen, don't be afraid. What's conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit, and you are to name the child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There in verse 21 of Matthew 1. This is mankind's greatest need. This is our greatest need. We need a Savior. We need someone who can come to redeem us, someone who can restore you and I back in relationship with God. Why? Because we can never do it on our own. We're all sinners. We're all straying, right? We all, like sheep, Isaiah 53 says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one is, right, is follow their own path. But there's good news. Why? Because he says the Lord's going to lay on him the iniquity of us all. This hope of this good news, of this great joy, is why? Because this Savior is coming to deliver us. He's coming to live the perfect life that you and I were called to live, that we, we can't. And He's going to die in our place to save us from the judgment of God. And maybe you hear that and it causes you to wonder, well, who did He come to save? Notice what He says again back in verse 10. This is going to be for all the people. And maybe you wonder, well, Blake, what kind of people? Like, I mean, like, what kind of people is Jesus really serious about saving? I think one of the greatest stories in Luke's gospel is in Luke 15. Story of the father and the two sons. Right? You have the younger son who we know is the prodigal who goes to his dad and he says, Dad, basically, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me my inheritance now. And remarkably, the father gives him that inheritance. And it says that he goes off in his far off country and he squanders it, and, and the older brother says that, that there's prostitutes and seemingly sexual morality and all these things that are happening, but soon a famine comes, and, and he, he's, he's, just, he's in a place, right, that he thought would be a place of prosperity comes a place of poverty, right? Sin always, right? It always promises those things, but never delivers. And it says that soon this younger son began to think back to his father. He said, you know what? I'm going to go back to dad. And I'm going to say, Dad, I, listen, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. And it says that while he's still a long way off, his father sees him. Again, we're trying to understand, who did this, who did this Savior come to save? What kind of people? And it says this outcast, this son who wished his father dead, this son who has wrecked his dad's name, he's gone and lived it wild, he, he's, he's totally gone against the Scriptures and the truth of God's Word, it says this boy comes back to the father, and it says the father embraces him and kisses him, and he welcomes him back into the family. And he says, this son of mine is dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. This son has experienced a Savior. But the story's interesting, right? Because, again, you're wondering, well, okay, so... The good news of the gospel is, the great joy is, this morning, wherever you've been and whatever you've done, there's hope for you. No matter, there's no one too far gone. That story tells us that. But there's also another son, isn't there? An older son. And interestingly enough, right, he hears the noise, the party, and all the things going. He finds out that actually the younger brothers come back. And 
He refuses to come in. The dad goes out in the field and begins to talk with him. He says, listen, man, you, you, you've been with me all this time. Everything I have is yours. But this brother of yours, he's lost. He's found. He's come back. And, and he begins to get furious. And the story of Luke 15 ends, astonishingly enough, with this older brother who represents the religious leaders that are standing around Jesus outside. While this outcast of a son, this rebel, this great sinner, is actually the one who comes and is on the inside. The story says to us, again, because we're saying, man, Jesus, right, this is good news of great joy. You've got to know, what is this good news? What is this great joy that's yours today? The good news is this. No matter what you've done or where you've been, Jesus came to save you. And the good news, the great joy is, no matter how religious you are and how perfect your attendance has been and how perfect you've prayed and how perfect you've given and how perfect you've gone, the truth is you still need saving too. And the good news of the gospel comes is that whosoever will, no matter where you are, this Savior has come. And that's the hope of this gospel. That's the good news. And and so Luke is laboring to that point again and again, story after story, saying to us, listen, come and experience salvation. No one here is too dirty. No one here is too far gone. And yet no one here is too good that they don't need the Savior. This is the hope of the gospel. And so, listen, in some way, this two-edged sword of we hear this good news of great joy that Christ has come and, and brought salvation. Yet at the same time, it's a reminder that he gave himself for us that we might also give ourselves for him. It's 1 Corinthians 6.19 that says that we are not our own, but belong to him. Did you hear that today? If you consider the areas of your life. That the Savior has come for you and he saved and redeemed you. Saved you from judgment. Saved you from God's wrath. I want to ask you today, are you surrendering your life to him? Is your life not your own? Are you living it for him in response to what he has done for you? You see, to receive Jesus as Savior is more joyous and yet more threatening than we've ever imagined. Because it's not simply just about being forgiven. It's now this God has ownership of your life. It's a call to submission and surrender, as we'll see. So again, our greatest joy is because why? Jesus has come and he is our Savior. And that means for the prodigal, for the greatest person, we are all in desperate need of being saved. But that's not the only areas that the angel gives of good news and great joy. Look what else he says, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Notice what he says, secondly. Who is Christ? Be joyful because Jesus came to suffer. Secondly, be joyful because Jesus came to suffer so that you and I wouldn't have to for all eternity. Jesus came to suffer, right? And you might be wondering, well, where do you get that with Christ? Well, the word Christ, right, that's the Greek word. But it's, it's, it's built upon the Hebrew word, which is Messiah. And some of your translations may actually render it that way. If you look there at verse 11, you may have the, the word Messiah there rather than Christ. I don't know. Put on your translation. But again, this tells us about his identity, of who this one is. Luke loves to pile on names and images throughout his gospel, but he's doing something important here when he says, This one that has come, these angels have announced, listen, he's not just simply the Savior, this one is the Christ. You see what Luke is saying to us through the angels' announcement here is that this is not the beginning of a new religion, but in fact, it's the fulfillment of an old one. Right? We're not becoming unhinged from our Old Testament. Right? We, too, 
as we come to God through faith, become children of Abraham? Is this promise of this one who is the Christ? He's, he's all that Genesis through Malachi have been predicting and prophesying and declaring was coming. But the story doesn't end there. No, Jesus' coming isn't just for the Israelites. His coming is actually for all people. And we wonder, well, who are all those people? Well, guess what? Luke would say, well, don't just stop reading my first letter. Read also what I wrote in the book of Acts. Right? Luke writes there. And if you pick up in Acts chapter 1, guess who he addresses? The same guy he addresses in Luke chapter 1, Theophilus. And the picture becomes clearer through the book of Acts. It's not just for the Israelites. Jesus came for the Gentiles too. And where does this group meet? In the church. It's in the church that Jew and Gentile become one. It's this, as Paul says, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. And, and now, right, what becomes remarkable is the culture around sees you and I, sees this church and our unity, our love of one another, our service of one another, the rich and the poor, Right? The educated and maybe less educated, those all of us coming together, right, in different grades or different demographics, different ages, different places in society, and yet we become one. It is a declaration to Greene County. There's something different there. And it's the truth of this Christ, this Messiah that has come. And it's this hope. But the reality is, even Jesus' closest disciples, they didn't understand his identity. I mean, that they heard his radical teaching and they saw the miracles. But they hoped that he was also the promised Messiah. And you see, they thought that for a while. But the truth is, if you pick up in Luke 24, that they had that hope, yes, here, as the angels announced it at his birth. But on that Friday, for his followers, the hope that Jesus was actually the Christ, the Messiah, it died. Hope was gone. I mean, listen to Luke chapter 24 again. As Jesus comes and begins to talk with them, they, they, they've shared with him. They said, listen, we, we had hoped that he was the one. We had hope, right? They've lost hope. We, we thought he was the Christ. We thought he was actually the Messiah. We thought he was the fulfillment of everything we had heard and been read and the prophets and everyone had been pointing. But now he's dead. And Jesus says to them in Luke 24, beginning in verse 25, and he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Listen to this. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, notice this, this is shocking, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus says it was necessary that the Messiah, the Christ, should suffer. And that's what's so hard for the disciples. They can't grasp that he's going to die. Why? Because they've been waiting for the Christ, the Messiah, to come and bring them deliverance from Rome. Right? They believe that when this one comes, it's just going to be like the same way it was in the Exodus and the deliverance of Egypt. They're going to march right out and they're going to throw the Romans out of their city and they're going to have the kingdom of God right there coming. And that's what the struggle is, right? The kingdom, it, it is coming. Yes, it's coming, Christ, but it's not yet come to its fulfillment. And so guess what? They live in a world where the curse still abounds. And, and guess what? You sang it this morning. Isaac Watts' words from 1719. When you sang Joy to the World, listen to what you sang. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Do you hear that? Right? That's the word of Genesis 3. That's the curse, right? The curse because you've done this from the ground, right? All the days you'll work at it, right? And it's going to produce thorns for you. And you now there's sorrow and childbirth 
and heartache, and there's going to be division between husbands and wives, and the families are going to be broken. But listen to this hope. Are you saying in the third, this next statement? He comes to make his blessings flow. Listen to this statement. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. It's this hope of the gospel. That this Messiah who has come, he is bringing the kingdom, church. And one day it will come in its fulfillment. This is the hope of the Christ the Messiah, the one that you worship today. And, and the truth is, in the midst of our busyness and all that we have going on, all the things that weigh against our soul and, and, and bring those depressive thoughts and, and discourage us and beat us down, it can be hard to even hear this truth today. We can be so distracted, so beat down, so hurt, experiencing so much the curse and so many thorns seem to entangle our lives. But beloved, that's why we come back Sunday after Sunday, isn't it? I mean, that's why you and I return back and gather and look back again to the old, old stories to say, Ah, oh, there it is, soul, don't forget. There is good news of great joy that the Savior who is Christ has come. And what? guess what? One day, one day, this curse, right, his blessings are going to come, guess, notice what he says, as far as the curse is found. There's nowhere that the salvation and the blessing of God will not reach. It will bring blessing and, and, and the reverse of the curse. And we will experience the hope of Revelation 21, that in that place, he says he's going to wipe every tear from her eye, and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away, and he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. And he says, Write these words down. These words are trustworthy and they're true. Did you hear it this morning? The world that you and I live in is one of sorrows and sighing. It's one where the curse seems to rule and abound, and it's a place of sorrow and depression and sadness. Anxiety and fear and sin seems to grow. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Like These things just seem to grow and fester more and more. But there is coming a day. And how do we know that day is coming? Because our Savior has already come and overcome the curse. How did He do it? As Paul says in Galatians, He became cursed for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And that's what Jesus says. Listen, guys, you lost hope. When I died, but I didn't stay dead for on the third day, on a Sunday morning. Do you see that? That's why we're here today. That's why we've gathered today. As I read just the other day, it said, hey, guess what? You need to make sure you bring your kiddos to church this Sunday. Because it'll be 11 years until Christmas falls on a Sunday again. And the likelihood is that many or most of your kids will already be out of your house at that point. The opportunities you and I have, brothers and sisters, are fleeting the moments that we have to come and reorient our hearts and minds to the truth of this word is flashing before our eyes. But there is a promise that the one who was crucified on Friday was in the grave on Saturday, was raised again on Sunday, and he has ascended back to the Father's right hand. And one day, the Christ, the Messiah, is coming to bring about the kingdom that the disciples were hoping to see in their time, the kingdom that you and I are hoping to see in our time. And it's this hope of the gospel 
As I heard this week, guess what? That in the incarnation, Christ became like us. So that in the resurrection, we might become like him. Hear that again. In the incarnation, Christ became like us. That in his resurrection, we might become like him. It's the hope of this gospel. The hope that there will come a day when the curse will no longer rule. But again, the disciples are struggling because they live in the world that you and I live in where Rome still rules and sorrows and signs and thorns. I mean, they struggle. Do you feel the struggle? Do you have the struggle in your own heart and mind? How often has your hope or your joy died in the midst of your own suffering or been choked out? When that test result came back or that relationship struggled or ended or the gift that you hoped to come didn't come or soon breaks or disappoints, beloved, that's why you and I must fix our eyes again here. That's why we need to say to our souls this morning, soul, listen, soul, hear the word of God. This is good news. This children is great joy. This is what we need to say to our families This is good news. This is great joy. It's not going to be under the tree. Mercy. And it's not going to be in some cat in a red suit. I mean, just consider that for a moment. If you're good, you get something good. If you're bad, you get coal. That's nothing like God. Because the truth is we all deserve coal. But in His goodness, He gave us the goodness of Christ. Beloved, that's the one we need to set before our kids and families. That's the one we need to build their hope and their joy around. The other one's just like the world, man. He's a moralist. If you're good, you get what you good deserve. If you're bad, you get what bad deserves. The good news of the gospel is, is that Christ came for bad people like us, that we might receive the goodness of God by grace through faith. That, beloved, again, is why we gather here and say, ah, oh, That's the good news of great joy. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. So joy joy comes because Christ came to save. Secondly, we are joyful because Christ came to suffer. Finally, we can be joyful because Jesus came to surrender. We can be joyful because Jesus came to surrender so that you and I can too. Look what he says in verse 11 again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Notice this last statement. The Lord. Did you hear that? This one that's born is no mere man. This is the Lord. The baby in the manger is God. It's it's John 1. The Word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. God's become flesh. I mean, I, I, I don't know of anything more startling to, to shock my sinfulness is to say to us this morning that our sin is so serious, it is so grievous, and we are so incapable of overcoming it that the only solution, the only solution is for God Himself to come and rescue us. That's the seriousness of our sin. But it's also the declaration of the greatness of God's love, is it not? is that God saw that you and I could never, ever make it to Him on our own. We are barred from the gates of heaven and eternal joy and fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore, Psalm 16. And so God did for you and I what we could never do. 
He sent his only son for us. God sent his son. He didn't send a substitute. He didn't send the best person he could find. No, he sent himself. And he would come, and guess what, guys? He would come and die for us in the midst of our sin. The one here, he's the Lord. Again, it, it must shock us. That's the seriousness of our sin. That is the true depth of our depravity. The Lord had to come. But it also sounds in our hearts and our minds when we wonder how much does God love us. So much so that he sent his only begotten son. Amen, church? Maybe you wonder, well, Blake, what would ever qualify me to come to someone like that? Jesus tells you, friend. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Did you hear that today? If you're weary and heavy burdened, you're qualified. If you think you're good enough on your own, you have no need of it. You're just going to walk right on by that Savior. Like, who needs that guy? But if you're weary and heavy burdened, you're qualified. He says, come to me, all you are weary, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. This, again, who is this Lord? This is the heart of God. Listen what he says. Listen, he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And th- listen to Jesus in all of his statements. This is the place that he says, this is my heart. Right? We have all kinds of things he says, but this is the one moment there in Matthew 11 that he gives us his heart. He says, for, listen, he says, for I am gentle and humble, or I am gentle and lowly of heart. That's his heart. One of humility and kindness. One that says to you and I, you sinned and messed up. You feel trapped. You're weary. You're burdened. You're stressed. You're anxious. You're afraid. You think there's no hope for you. He says, you need to be reminded of what my heart is. My heart is one of mercy and grace. Hear that this Christmas. God's heart is one of humility and grace. So are you and I qualified to come? Absolutely not. But that's what qualifies us because of his heart. He would say, if you just acknowledge that sin, if you just acknowledge your weakness, if you acknowledge your frailty, come, my heart is gentle and merciful. I am gracious. That's this Lord. That's who is here. That's who's come for us. That's his heart. If you wonder, well, what's the end goal of all this? Look at it says, verse 12 and 14. The angel says, well, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, the heavenly host, praising God and saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus coming brings the highest glory to God. It brings glory to him. This is the hope that God and sinners might be reconciled. But look at that. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. This is if you want peace, if you desire peace. He says among those with whom he is pleased, those who will humbly come and bow and acknowledge their need. The prodigal who would return home this morning. The religious person who will take off their mask and all of their self-righteousness and bow and say, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. I can't keep this up anymore. I'm exhausted living this life. 
I need the one who is the Savior, who is the Christ, who is the Lord. That's what we celebrate. That's our hope. It's glory to God when you and I, when sinners repent. The angel says there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than 99 who don't need to. It brings God glory when you and I humbly confess our sin. You see, Satan wants to twist that. Right? I mean, he wants to twist it. He says, listen, man, you should feel good about your sin, but you should feel really embarrassed that you need to repent. No, the Bible says you should feel embarrassed about your sin, but really good when you repent. He brings restoration back. This one who is the Lord, he is gentle and humble at heart. And listen, this one. His coming brings glory to God in the highest. Maybe you wonder, well, what should our response be to Christ's coming? Look what happens. When the angels went away, verse 15, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I think two things stand out. Notice first what it says. They say, let's go. Verse 15, it says, let's go and see. They go and see, right? That, that's what we do. Again, Sunday after Sunday, we come and see. We come and gaze, guess what, upon the beauty of Christ. No, we don't come to see him physically. But we come to see his beauty and his glory through the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, beloved, why you're here this morning. That's why we gather Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day. This word of God we need to hear. This Christ we need to gaze upon his beauty. This is why we want to share the word of God in our homes. This is why we urge you with family worship or individual time of just reading the word alone. Spending time in the word of God. Just gazing upon his beauty. Come and see why it's there that we are reminded that for our sin, there is a Savior. For our hopelessness, there is a Christ. For our weakness, there is a Lord. But notice the knowledge that they come and see. Again, what should our response be today to hearing this good news of the gospel? I think one is come and see. But notice what else they do. When they saw it, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And everybody who hears it is amazed. They go and tell. They come and see, and they go and tell. Could I ask you just an honest question today? Who in Greensburg or Green County, Kentucky, heard the gospel from your lips in 2022? I'm talking about more than just uh, inviting somebody to church or talking a little bit about some religious matters. I'm saying, who did you share the gospel with? Friend, I want to be gentle. But I think each of us should have to examine our own hearts. If we're rarely ever going and telling, we need to ask if we really come and see. Want to be gentle in that? Kind of legalistic? But I think we need to wrestle with that this morning. If we're rarely ever going and telling the gospel, have we really come and seen? These shepherds, again, think about all the things they don't know. We don't know what their background is. Maybe they know very little, but the one thing they do know is Jesus. 
Beloved, that's, just start there. Start with Christ. Share this good news of the gospel. To come and see. Invite others around you to come and see. Let's go and share the gospel with this community. Go and share the gospel with the nations. We sang this morning, began with the song, O Come All Ye Faithful. There's another song that's similar to that, but it's called come, O Come All Ye Unfaithful. And I wanted to share these lyrics as we close. Let it hear. Let it hear your heart today. I don't know. It just strikes me as I listen to it just time after time that I often find myself in a different group saying, oh, man, that's me. Listen to this. O come, all you unfaithful. Come, weak and unstable. Come, know that you are not alone. O come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying. Come, see what your God has done. O come, bitter and broken. Come with fears unspoken. Come, taste of his perfect love. Oh, come, guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. I don't know what you're struggling, wrestling with, dealing with today, but I bid you this hour in response to the good news of great joy, come to Jesus. Come to Him this day. This is good news of great joy for all people, and that includes you. So let your soul this morning just pause for a moment before you run back out to the restless and all the things that are rat race around us. And just say, soul, just sit and rest and come to Jesus. That you might find rest for your souls. And peace forevermore. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Christ's coming. Thank you that you sent your only begotten Son. That today, if we would hear this gospel and believe in him, we should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I pray that you would strengthen, Lord. I know that there are those who are weary and broken in this room. Would you comfort them, Lord? Thank you that only you can do that perfectly. Father, help us care for one another and bear one of those burdens. Father, for those who are know the sting of barrenness and waiting, God, would you just strengthen them today? Would you encourage and lift them up and give them hope and give them strength just to keep praying and calling out to you? Father, for those who are sad and lonely and depressed and anxious and afraid and on and on, all the things that we deal with, Father, would you just call them anew back to you to come and gaze upon your beauty of the one who is the Savior, who is Christ the Lord? Father, Hear again the hope that we have that we can come all ye unfaithful because you have made us faithful and you have made us holy and righteous in the sending of your son. And so today we stop and we celebrate his coming. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.